بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As believers and as members of the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we have a certain relationship with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In fact, our lives are often governed by relationships, filled with relationships. We have relationships with family members, parents, children, siblings, relatives, neighbors, colleagues, people that we meet on a regular basis, even though they may not be neighbors or family members. We have relationships with friends, acquaintances, employers, employees. So our lives are filled with relationships. And in fact, the course of our lives is often determined and regulated by the number and kind and nature of relationships we have. And one of the most important relationships is that between husband and wife. But moving beyond these relationships, we need to understand that we also have a relationship with Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When we study our relationships, not between the creation and the creator and the prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his ummah, but the previous relationships I've just spoken of, in all of these relationships there are obligations and duties and rights and reciprocal behavior. Whether it's a relationship between friends, colleagues, acquaintances, families, family members, employer, employee, husband and wife. Both sides have obligations and duties towards the other and both have rights and claims over the other. And such relationships only survive and only work if there is reciprocal behavior, when both sides fulfill their part of the bargain, when 
both sides fulfill their duties and responsibilities and obligations towards the other, when both sides, when both parties honour the other, there is no relationship in the world whereby one party has all the obligations, duties and responsibilities and is expected to fulfil them and the other party has no responsibility or maybe there are responsibilities but fails to fulfil them and yet expects all of their own rights to be honoured and observed. There is no such relationship in the world, no one-sided relationship. People may try, but they can never succeed. Now, we have a relationship with Allah and with the Messenger Wasallam. Even with Allah, there is a unique relationship between the creation and the creator. And both actually have responsibilities and duties towards the other. And each one has a claim and a right over the other. Rasulullah went as far as saying that Allah has rights over his creation and Allah's creation has rights over the creator. Allah sustains them. Allah provides for them. Allah cares for them. And in return, in you, they have a duty to worship none but Allah. Their duty and obligation towards Allah is that of Tawheed and Ibadah. And his duty is Rizq and care and provision. Similarly, we have a relationship with the Messenger of Allah And in that relationship, we have duties, obligations and responsibilities towards him. And he has certain rights over us. Now we expect so much of the Messenger of Allah We want the honour of belonging to his ummah. We have hope that by virtue of being one of the members of his ummah, on the day of reckoning, we shall attain salvation. He will intercede on our behalf. He will pray for us. We will go into Jannah following him. In fact, this is a very common belief that just by being members of his ummah, just by being followers of the Prophet his dua, his shafa'ah, his intercession, his prayer, his supplication, all of this will be sufficient for us. And in Islam, historically, Theologically, there has actually been a belief. And practically, there has always been this belief. Meaning, let me speak about practice first. In practical terms, in terms of practice, many have always acted as though, yes, 
in principle, they accept that we have to pray, fast, observe religious laws, behave in a certain way. And that's what's expected of us. But in practice, people fail. And some take it very far in the sense that they will do nothing. And they live on hope. They live in hope that despite never praying, fasting, doing anything, they will succeed and attain salvation merely by virtue of being members of the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His shafa'ah is sufficient. His dua is sufficient. His prayer, his supplication, his intercession, all of this is sufficient. So people live in this hope. But in the past, there has actually been a theological belief that you don't have to do anything. Some people actually believed that as long as you say that Allah is one and accept Allah as the only God, and that you believe just by words that the Prophet ﷺ is Allah's final messenger, then this theoretical, theological belief is sufficient. After that, you don't have to do anything. In fact, some went as far as saying that you don't have to even abstain from any sin. So you can continue to commit sins. And you can fail to fulfill any duty and obligation towards Allah. But as long as you believe, you just accept that Allah is the one and only God and that the Prophet Muhammad is his final messenger. These two beliefs are sufficient in mind and heart. After that, as far as the, your life is concerned, you can do what you want. Commit as many sins as you want. Fail to fulfill any obligation, any duty towards Allah. Then that's all fine. Because... Belief in God and belief that the Prophet Muhammad is a final messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this mental belief is sufficient. So some people actually believe that theologically. That was a pr- that They actually acted on that and believed that in principle. But many others, they don't believe that per se. But practically, that's exactly how they live their lives. Now, the truth is, we can't just rely on our hope that the Prophet ﷺ will intercede. This is that one-sided relationship that doesn't exist anywhere else. We expect, we have all these expectations of the Prophet ﷺ. He will pray for us. He will intercede on our behalf. Our belonging to his ummah is sufficient. And all of this in itself will guarantee us salvation, forgiveness, and entry into Jannah. And beyond that, we don't have to do anything. That's a very one-sided, demanding, entitled relationship that we claim with the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The truth is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed many obligations on us duties and responsibilities towards the Prophet Yes, he has done a lot for us. He already has. 
And he will continue to do a lot for us. On the day of reckoning. In the plane of reckoning. He will pray for us. He will intercede on our behalf. That's the greatest thing that we can hope for. He will give water with his own noble hands. From his own pool and pond. To his followers. On the day of judgment. And that's again something we hope for. But in order to earn that, in order to win and gain that, we also have duties and obligations towards the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if we fail in our duty, we can't just live in hope because we will actually be denied that, even though we may want it and the Messenger of Allah may want it. How? In many hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has related that on the day of judgment, he will be, he says, I will precede you at the pond. So I will go to the pool and pond first and I will wait for you there. And then his ummah will arrive and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with his own noble hands he will give members of his ummah, his followers, water to drink on that day when one's thirst cannot be quenched except by the water of the pond of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And certain people will be waiting and then the angels will come and they will actually snatch the words of the hadith are they will be snatched. The angels will snatch certain people from that line, from that congregation and multitude waiting to be watered by the noble hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They will actually be snatched away right in front of him. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam will protest and say they are members of my ummah. And it will be said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, no, you do not know what they did after you. They are not members of your ummah. You do not know what they did after you. So, even though, strictly speaking, they are members of the ummah, they belong to the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, because of their failures and because of their misdeeds and their actions, they will be denied water from the noble hand of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam at his pond, at his pool. And the angels will snatch them away right in front of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that will just be the first of many denials. They will be denied many things. So we can't just live in hope. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honoured us by being members of the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But... That honour comes with its commensurate responsibilities. That privilege of being members of the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam comes with commensurate obligations. So what are some of those obligations? There are many mentioned in the verses of the Qur'an, in the Hadith. But there are the two very beautiful verses of the Qur'an in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of some of the obligations of the believers towards the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And 
I'll speak about those just from these two verses of the Quran. In Surah Al-Fatih, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna arsalnaak shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadheera litu'minu billahi wa rasoolih wa tu'azziruhu wa tawakkiruhu wa tusabbihuhu bukratan wa asila. Addressing the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah says, Indeed we have sent you as a witness, as a witness, and as a giver of glad tidings, and as a warner. So that all of you, O believers, so that you may believe in him, in Allah and in the Messenger And so that you may support him, and so that you may revere him, and so that you may hymn the praise of Allah morning and evening. Now, subhanAllah, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions three of the duties of the Prophet He had duties. He had a responsibility. We have a relationship between us and the Messenger of Allah And as in any relationship, there are duties and obligations and responsibilities, and there are rights and claims. We have a right. We do. And the Prophet ﷺ has certain duties and responsibilities and obligations towards us. He does. As all the messengers of Allah had obligations and duties towards their followers. On the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask the messengers of Allah that did you convey my message? Did you fulfill your obligation? And the messengers will say, yes, we did, O Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask for proof that is there anyone who will testify in your favor? And this ummah will actually testify in favor of the previous prophets and messengers, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that the, indeed they did fulfill their duty and responsibility and obligation towards their followers by conveying faithfully the message of Allah. And then, the greatest witness, so we will actually be witnesses on behalf of the former messengers. But the greatest witness of all will be the one witness who will testify on behalf of all of the messengers and who will also testify on behalf of this ummah. As Allah says, وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَؤُلَاءِ shahida." That, O Prophet of Allah, we will bring you and we will produce you as a witness over all of these people. The greatest witness of Allah in the court of Allah on the day of judgment and reckoning will be the Prophet So every messenger of Allah had duties and obligations towards his followers. And our Prophet had certain obligations towards his ummah. And he fulfilled them thoroughly. Allah mentions three of them here. Inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadheera. Indeed, we have sent you as a witness. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a witness. He is a witness. He will be a witness. On the day of judgment, he will be a witness 
on our behalf and a witness for all of the messengers of Allah that came before him. The Prophet ﷺ was also a bearer of glad tidings and he conveyed those glad tidings. He was a warner and he did warn us. He has warned us. He has cautioned. In other verses of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions other obligations of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. هُوَ الَّذِي بَعَثَ فِي الْأُمِّيِّينَ رَسُولًا مِّنْهُمْ يَتْرُوَ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيَزَكِّيهِمْ وَيَعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةِ Allah says it is he, Allah, who sent amongst the unlettered people a messenger from themselves. What does he do? يَتْرُوَ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ He recites... To them, Allah's verses. وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ And he nurtures them. وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةِ And he teaches them the book and wisdom. These were the obligations of Rasulullah Now the question is, has the Prophet of Allah fulfilled these duties towards us? Did he not? convey to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum and to the subsequent generations through Allah's verses. Has the Qur'an not reached us in its entirety? It has. Did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa not mold and nurture the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum? Did he not personally take care of their spiritual needs did he just convey the words and leave them at that no he shaped them he molded them he nurtured them he trained them he disciplined them he reformed them he did that and he fulfilled his duty and obligation did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam not just convey the words but also teach the meanings of those words of course the Prophet ﷺ fulfilled all of his duties. That's why in the farewell pilgrimage, before that multitude of Sahaba radiallahu anhum, Rasulullah ﷺ pointed towards the heavens and raising his finger said, Allahumma inni qad ballaghtu fashhad. Oh Allah, indeed I have conveyed so you be a witness over me. Having fulfilled his duty, he declared that he had done so. And he said to Allah, oh Allah, you be my witness. And indeed, the Prophet ﷺ has fulfilled his duty and obligation. So what is the duty and obligation of his ummah towards him? So Allah says, إِنَّا Indeed, we have sent you as a witness, as a bearer of glad tidings, and as a warner. So that you, the ummah, what do you do? لِتُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ So that you may believe in Allah and in his messenger. وَتُعَزِّرُوهُ And so that you may support him. وَتُوَقِّرُوهُ And so that you may revere him. There's another similar verse in Surah Al-A'raf in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again mentions some of the functions and duties of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. الَّذِينَ يَتَّبِعُونَ الرَّسُولَ النَّبِيَّ الْأُمِّيَّ الَّذِي يَجِدُونَهُ مَكْتُوبًا عِنْدَهُمْ فِي التَّوْرَاةِ فِي التَّوْرَاةِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ يَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَاهُمْ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَيُحِلُّ لَهُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ وَيَضَعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِهِ وَعَزَّرُوهُ وَنَصَرُوهُ وَاتَّبَعُوا النُّورَ الَّذِي أُنْزِلَ مَعَهُ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ
those who follow, the unlettered prophet and messenger, whose mention they do find with them in the Torah and in the Injil. This is a mention of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that the companions of the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they follow the Prophet of Allah. And then here's a description of the Prophet of Allah. Allah describes him as being unlettered. He was unlettered. He was a prophet. He was a messenger. His coming was foretold and prophesied in the earlier scriptures. And his mention is recorded in the Torah and in the Injil, in the scriptures of the Jews and the Christians. This is the Qur'an's testimony. Then Allah describes him further, and these are some of the duties and obligations and responsibilities of the Prophet ﷺ, which he faithfully fulfilled. And what are they? يَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ He instructs them to good. وَيَنْهَاهُمْ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And he forbids them from evil, from sin. وَيُحِلُّ لَهُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ And he makes lawful for them the pure thing. And he forbids for them the impure things. And he removes from them their burden. And those fetters and shackles that tied them, that bound them. Indeed, the Prophet ﷺ did all of this. So now, since he has fulfilled these obligations... Similar to the verse of Surah Al-Fatih, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So, what is the duty and obligation of, his create, of Allah's creation towards him? فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِهِ وَعَزَّرُوهُ وَنَصَرُوهُ وَاتَّبَعُوا النُّورَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ مَعْهُ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Allah says, so those who believe in him and who support him and who assist him and who obey and who follow that light which was revealed with him, these are the ones who are successful. So in the combination of these two verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned a number of duties, obligations and responsibilities of the ummah towards the Prophet wasallam, And they are iman. Ta'zeer, Nusrah, Ittiba' and Tawqeer. From just these two verses, Allah has mentioned five different obligations towards Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa One, to believe in him. Two, to support him. Three, to assist him. Four, to follow and obey him and the light which he brought. And number five, to revere him. Of course, there are other obligations in other verses of the Quran, but in just these two verses, which are similar to each other, Allah has mentioned these obligations. So number one, to believe in the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That means true belief. If we want 
his prayers, the honor and privilege of belonging to his ummah and his family. We want his intercession, his shafa'ah, his dua. We want to drink water from his hands, from his pool on the day of judgment. We want to follow him into Jannah. We want him to lead us into Jannah. Then we can't just demand it. We can't just feel entitled to it. We can't just expect it. We can't just want it and wish it. We can't just hope for it without paying the price. In one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ala inna sil'atullahi ghaliya, lo, the product of Allah is expensive. Nothing comes for free. Nothing. Neither in the dunya or the akhirah, unless Allah wishes. Nothing comes for free. There is no such thing as that, that comes for free. Absolutely nothing comes for free unless it's from Allah. That's a rule of life. Now, we don't expect that in the dunya. Of course, we want it, we wish it, if we can get away with it. Everyone wants something for free. We want to be takers without giving. Allah has cursed those who take without giving. Those who reduce, those who stint, those who remove. So who are the mutaffifin? Allah describes them. Those who when they measure for themselves against the people. They take their full measure. And when they measure or weigh for the people against themselves, sorry, the other way around, those who, when they measure for themselves, for others, that, and against themselves, they reduce. And when they measure, or weigh for themselves against others, they take the full measure. So, they don't wish to play fair. They want to take as much as possible. If possible, everything for nothing. Give nothing, take everything. And if possible, and they can't get away with taking everything for nothing, to give as little as possible and take as much as possible. Take the full measure and give as little as possible. Allah has cursed these people. And who are these people that Allah describes as mutaffifin? Simple everyday traders. So in the marketplace, 
Those who, when they weigh, to sell to others, then they try to reduce the weight. Take the full measure and give as little as possible. So for everyday veg and fruit, for grain and crops, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has cursed people who take, who don't pay the full price. They don't pay the proper price. It's a reality. We may want to take things for free, and we will try to get away with it. But the truth is, nothing comes for free. Everything comes with a price. And that's in the dunya. Bread, milk, fruit, veg, grain, crops. All of this comes with a price. And unless a person is fraudulent, and a liar, and a schemer, and a thief, a person will pay the full price. In fact, a true believer believer gives more. Always gives more. So when we do not expect anything for free in the dunya, how can we expect so much for free in thee? We want the dua, the prayer, we want the shafa'ah, the intercession, we want the salvation, we want the water, we want the cup, we want the pool, we want the honour and privilege, all related to Rasulullah without paying any price. And we are the worst of the mutaffifin. We are the worst of the stinters. We are the worst of all people. In that we are not trying to steal and take the full measure in fruits and veg and crops and grain. We are trying to take our full measure and demand something for free without paying the price or any part of the price in our dealings with Rasulullah wasallam. What could be worse? What could be worse? We are trying to defraud Allah and His Messenger We are demanding and expecting and we feel entitled to the dua and the shafa'ah, the intercession and the prayer of Rasulullah and his representation. We want his water, we want his prayer, we want his intercession, we want the privilege of belonging to his ummah without paying any part of the price, without fulfilling any duty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed obligations on us. And the first of those is that لِتُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ so that you believe in Allah and His Messenger Now, believing in His Messenger means true belief. It means true belief. Not just words. When a husband and wife live together and each claims love for the other. And these are just words. On the one hand, one, the husband or wife say, says to the other, I love you. But their actions, their deeds, their choices, their behavior, all of these things do not betray love. The husband will question the sincerity. Anyone will question the sincerity. The wife will question the sincerity of her husband. And it's very evident, it becomes very evident. Words are words. Claims are claims. 
One's deeds, one's actions, one's attitude, one's approach, one's behaviour, one's lifestyle, one's very being should reflect the truth of that claim. Such false claims of love, without the deeds and the attitude and the reality backing that claim, will eventually lead to a divorce or separation. And that happens. In every relationship, we want words and claims to be backed by deeds and actions. In simple, everyday relationships, forget husband and wife, two friends. If someone claims friendship, and they actually keep on repeating that, I'm your friend, or consider me your friend, but they don't fulfil the duties and obligations of a friend, they don't honour that friendship, they don't behave like friends, most people, they'll just turn away. They won't give them the time of the day. There's no obligation, so the person will just cut off relations. There has to be a reality behind any such claim in relationships. Now, in the greatest of relationships, that between the Prophet of Allah وسلم, and a member of his ummah, one of his followers, there cannot be an empty, hollow claim of love for Rasulullah or of believing in him. One can't just say, I believe in him. That's it. It has to be true belief. It has to be belief from the heart. It has to be belief which makes a person love the Messenger of Allah more than anything or anyone else. It has to be belief which is backed by obedience and action. It has to be true belief. So the first obligation of a Believer of a Muslim, of a Mu'min, of a follower of Rasulullah is that he believes in the Messenger of Allah and what he brought. And that belief means love, obedience, and following. Number two, in both verses, Allah mentions a second duty, which is that, well, there are. Belief, Iman, Ta'zeer, Nusrah, Tawqeer and Ittiba'ah. I won't mention them in order, but let's move on to the second one, which is Tawqeer, revering the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi This is different to love. Love is one thing. Reverence is beyond love. Love, respect, reverence. All of them There are subtle differences between them And we should have all of these for Rasulullah So we believe in the messenger of Allah That's our first duty Secondly We love him We respect him We revere him Now loving the Prophet Is well known Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared In Surah Al-Ahzab the Prophet is closer and more rightful and more deserving to the believers than their own souls. There Allah has said it categorically. What right does the Messenger of Allah have over us? His right is that he has a greater right over us than we have over ourselves. He is closer to us than our own souls. He is more deserving 
to us than we ourselves are. He should be closer to us. Simply, we should love him more than we love ourselves. Now, that's actually categorically mentioned in the Hadith. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others relate from Anas ibn Malik, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده ووالده والناس أجمعين. One of you cannot truly believe until I am more beloved to him than his father, his child, meaning parents, children, and the whole of mankind. We truly cannot believe in Allah unless we love the Messenger of Allah more than anyone else and anything else. Once. Umar ibn al-Khattab was holding the hand of Rasulullah So they both had their hands clutched. And holding his hand with great love and affection and devotion, Umar said, Ya Rasulullah, after myself, I love you more than anyone else. So holding his hand, he declared his love to him and said, after myself, I love you more than anyone else. So the Messenger وسلم, said to him, O oh, Umar, you cannot believe until I am more beloved to you than even yourself. So Umar said, Ya Rasulullah, indeed you are dearer to me and more beloved to me than myself. Now, before I continue, a simple question here. That did Umar suddenly just change his words? I.e., in one conversation, he progressed from saying that after myself, you are the most beloved to me. So when the Prophet said to him, No, O Umar, you cannot believe until I am more beloved to you than even yourself. So Umar suddenly said, Ya Rasulullah, you are more beloved to me than myself. So were these just words? Were these just empty claims? And how could Umar switch from one to the other in a moment? Is that what happened? Could someone maliciously claim that, oh, these were just words. It's like someone saying, are you my friend? Yes, I am your friend. Am I your best friend? Yes. After such and such a person, you're my best friend. No, you can't be my best friend. I can't be your best friend unless I'm even a better friend to you than that person. So the person says, okay. You're my best friend, even better than that one. Just words. In an instant. So Umar he said, after myself, you are the most beloved to me. So the Prophet وسلم, said, No, Umar, until I am more beloved to you than even yourself, you cannot believe. So Umar said, Ya Rasulullah, you are dearer to me and more beloved to me than even myself. So did Umar just change his words? No. So what happened? When Umar spoke, he spoke on the basis of common parlance, common talk, common vocabulary, common conception, which is 
that in human terms, it's almost a given, it's almost accepted universally that a person loves themselves more than anything or anyone else. It's universally accepted. That, yes, a mother loves a child. But strictly speaking, a mother will not love the child more than she loves herself. Human instinct of self-survival. So it's almost universally accepted that no matter how much a person loves the other, their greatest love is reserved for themselves. That's what everyone in every culture, in every religion, in every society has always believed. So the Arabs believe the same too. So Umar he was using common vocabulary, common parlance, that after myself, you are the most beloved to me. It's like anyone else. Whether they say it or not, they say, you are the dearest to me, you are the most beloved to me. What they mean is that after myself, you are the dearest to me. After myself, you are the most beloved to me. So Umar using common vocabulary, common parlance, common conception, he said, O Messenger of Allah, after myself, you are the dearest and most beloved to me. So the Prophet ﷺ corrected him and said, O Umar, until and unless I am more beloved to you than even yourself, you cannot believe. Umar on hearing these words of Rasulullah he scanned his heart, he checked his love, he analysed his love and his wording. And he realized, he realized that indeed, rather than going with common parlance, rather than going with common vocabulary, the common vocabulary did not portray his true love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Rather, when he analyzed his love, when he reflected on his devotion to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he realized that indeed he loved the messenger of Allah more than he loved himself. His deeds, his actions, everything proved it. And so then he said to the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, O messenger of Allah, indeed I do love you more than I love myself. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Now, O Umar, now, meaning now, there is true belief. So, Umar radiallahu'an's love didn't change from one moment to the other. No, only his wording changed. The previous wording did not faithfully portray his true love. The later wording did. His love didn't change. And that's a fact. Umar radiallahu'an's love was such. Abbas, Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's uncle, He embraced Islam much later. And he was with the pagans and the people of Mecca in the Battle of Badr, and he was taken captive. Umar was encouraging Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib 
to embrace Islam and follow Rasulullah He was advising the uncle to follow his nephew. And he was being very persistent. And then he explained. Umar radiallahu anhu said that the fact that you believe in the messenger of Allah and become his follower is dearer to me than my own father believing in the messenger of Allah and following him. Because I know how much pleasure it would bring the messenger of Allah Imagine, the pleasure of the messenger of Allah was greater to Umar than his own pleasure. For the Prophet to be pleased by seeing his uncle believe in him was greater to the Umar than the pleasure of seeing his own father becoming a Muslim. Indeed, that's how Umar's love was. So his love did not change from one moment to the other. Only his wording changed. The previous wording didn't faithfully portray his true love. The latter wording did. So this is our obligation. To believe in the Messenger of Allah, one. Two, to love him. And to love him how? To love him more than we love our children, our parents, and ourselves. Now, of course, that cannot happen automatically. Rather, this is something which every believer should work towards. To, this is a kind of love that we need to engender and instill in ourselves. We have to create it. We have to make ourselves love the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's an obligation and duty on us. It's not sufficient to say, I believe in the Messenger of Allah and I love him. No, we have to truly engender that level of love, instill that in- intensity of love in our hearts for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It can be done, but it has to be worked on. It has to be worked for. And when a person achieves that, there probably is no greater pleasure. That's why Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others all relate. A hadith in which Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, there are three things which are found in a person. Through them, that person will taste the sweetness of Iman. Number one, such a person for whom Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to whom Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam are more beloved than everyone else. And number two, وَإِنْ يُحِبُّ الْمَرْءَ لَا يُحِبُّهُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ That he loves a person, he does not love, love them except for the sake of Allah. When a person reaches that level of, of love for the Messenger وسلم, and Allah, everything is, revolves around that love. Everything is determined by that love. The love of Allah and the love of his Messenger وسلم, dictate the love's the likes and the dislikes of this person too. He or she will love for the sake of loving Allah, for the sake of loving the Messenger They will like, they will dislike on the basis of the like and dislike of Allah and His Messenger But that's a level of faith that has to be attained by great sacrifice, commitment and devotion. But that is actually an obligation. So the first obligation, Iman, in the Messenger of Allah, belief in the Messenger of Allah. Two, loving the Messenger of Allah. Three, true faith, true love. Three, respecting the Messenger of Allah. And 
beyond respect, revering the messenger of Allah. Now, subhanAllah, we can't just claim to love the messenger of Allah without respecting him, without revering him. Now, the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, demonstrated all of this. They demonstrated true belief. They displayed true love. They proved respect and reverence for the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Respect is a major theme in Islam, and respect for Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is an obligation. We are to respect his name. We are to respect and honor his memory. We are to respect his words. We are to respect his teachings. We are to respect his likes, his dislikes, his preferences, his choices. We cannot disrespect any of these things. We are to revere the Prophet ﷺ. But before reverence comes respect. How can a person revere the Messenger of Allah when they do not possess the minimum of respect? Respect is an obligation upon the believers towards a Messenger of Allah. Now, the simplest of things. One, when we, when we take the name of the Prophet, we are not to simply call him by his name, even in the third person. We shouldn't just say, Muhammad said this and Muhammad said that. Muhammad did this and Muhammad did that. No. Allah says in the Quran, لا تجعلوا دعاء الرسول بينكم كدعاء بعضكم بعضا. Do not make the call of the messenger like your call of each other. What does that mean? When we speak to each other, when we address each other, what do we say? Zayd, Bakr, Umar. Ali, Uthman, Sa'ad, Sa'id. When we call out to each other, we call out to each other by first name. We're on first name terms. In first person, second person, third person, it doesn't matter. We're on first name terms, we just say the name. Allah says, no matter how you speak to each other, do not speak to the Prophet ﷺ like you speak to each other. Do not call out to him like you call out to each other. Do not address him like you address each other. Don't just say, Ya Muhammad. Even in third person, do not just say Muhammad. This is why the companions, عنهم, and even the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, even family members, even older family members, they spoke to and of the Prophet ﷺ with immense respect. Even his wives would say to him, Fidaka Abi wa Ummi Ya Rasulullah. May your, may my parents, may my father and mother be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah. Imagine the wives would speak to him in that manner. The wives. The wives would never address the Prophet ﷺ by his first name. They would never do so. They would, even though they were his wives, they would say, Fidaka Abi wa Ummi Ya Rasulullah. 
This is why the relationship of the wives of the Prophet was one not just of love, not one, one not just of respect, but one of actual reverence. So we are not to speak of the Prophet without addressing him with his correct titles, to say the Messenger of Allah. Further, the Prophet of Allah, and uses other titles. Furthermore, we should never take the name of Rasulullah without sending salutations, peace, blessings, and prayers on him. Salat and salam. In, in fact, this is one of our greatest failures. Whenever we hear the name of the Prophet, we should say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We shouldn't remain silent. Allah has said so in the Quran. In Allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabiyya ya ayyuhalladheena amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. O believers. Before that Allah says, Verily Allah and his angels, they send, prayers upon the prophets O believers you also send your prayers and your salutations and greetings to the prophet now by prefacing the command and instruction of sending our prayers greetings to the prophet with the words inna allah wa malaikatah this, say, this says a lot. So Allah says, you do it. But not because your prayers, the Prophet needs your prayers, sallallahu alayhi wa Not because of that. It's not like Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa needs your dua, needs your prayers, needs your salam, and needs your greetings. Does he? No. Because before he tells us to do it, Allah already declares that whether you do it or not, don't worry. Allah and his angels, they send their salutations, their prayers and their peace and greetings to the Prophet ﷺ. You do it too. So if Allah does it, if the angels of Allah are constantly doing it, how and why would the Prophet ﷺ need our salat and salam and dua? He doesn't. So why are we instructed to do it? We are instructed to do it for ourselves. You send one salat and salam upon the Prophet ﷺ, Allah will shower you with ten salawat and salam on you. That's why Rasulullah ﷺ says, whoever sends one salat upon me, one prayer, salah means prayer. Now, depending on the context, Allah's prayer to the Prophet ﷺ means Allah's mercy. On the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The angels' prayers for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mean there's supplication to Allah to shower Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with blessings and peace. And our prayers are similar of the lower grade to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So whoever sends one salat upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah sends ten salawat upon him. 
So we gain more through our salat and salam than the Prophet ﷺ gains from us. From us. He gains a lot more from Allah. Because Allah himself is showering him with his salawat. So when Allah tells us to send our salat and our salam to Rasulullah ﷺ, the question is, is it so much for him or is it more for us? It's for us. We should send our salat and salam whenever we hear his name. Now the ulama have actually differed in their opinion. They all agree that this is an obligation. Because Allah commands, they all agree that it's an obligation. Their difference of opinion is how frequent and how often. So some ulama have said that this verse is an obligation, but it's only an obligation once in a lifetime. But they're in a minority. Others have said, this is an obligation at least once in every gathering. So if there's a gathering, and, or whether it's a small gathering of friends and colleagues and family, or whether it's a large gathering, some ulama have said, this obligation is applicable only once in a gathering. And others have said, no, the obligation is applicable on every mention of the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in one hadith, the Prophet says, It's a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan. That the stingy, stingy miser is that person in whose presence my name is mentioned and he does not send salat upon me. It's true. That the real stingy person, the real miser, the real penny pincher, is that person who, when the name of Rasulullah is mentioned before him, he does not send salat and salam upon the Prophet It's that same thing. He wants everything for free. And the Prophet said, that he's a real stingy person, the real miser. Someone who doesn't want to pay the price. Who's a bakhil? Who's a bakhil? Who's a stingy person? Who's a miser? Who's a tight-fisted one? Someone who doesn't want to spend. Someone who clutches on to his wealth. Someone who doesn't want to share. Someone who's so greedy, so tight-fisted, so narrow-minded, that they don't want to pay the price. They want everything for free, but never want to give. Such a person is loath. Anyone who doesn't pay their way. Someone who always takes but never puts into the kitty. Someone who always wants to take of others but never shares. Such a person is considered a vulture. A scavenger. A hyena. In human terms. Because a person wants to take and never give. Take and never share. That person is tight-fisted. Bakhil. Nobody wants to be called a bakhil. Nobody. Who wants to be called a bakhil? It's very, considered very lowly and despicable. Some people take pride in their violence. It's wrong, but some people take pride in their violence. Because being bad, being hard, is considered a, a dignified thing in a twisted way. But who in Allah's name ever considers bukhl to be dignified? Some people like to be considered hard and harsh 
and relentless and violent and bad and wicked because it demands a certain twisted respect. But being a Bakhil, who likes a Bakhil? Who wants to be considered a miser, a tight-fisted person? No one does. But Rasulullah said, a bakhil, the bakhil, the, the real bakhil, the real miser, is that person in whose presence my name is mentioned and he doesn't send salat upon me. It's a fact. He wants the Prophet ﷺ, he wants to belong to the ummah of Rasulullah ﷺ. He wants the privilege of being in this ummah. He wants the privilege of being a follower of the Prophet ﷺ. He wants the du'a of Rasulullah He wants all the benefits of the great sacrifices made by the Messenger of Allah The Prophet prayed and wept for his ummah. He shed his blood for his ummah. He suffered wounds for his ummah. He sustained injuries for his ummah. He suffered indignities, vitriol, verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. He suffered persecution. He suffered all of this for the sake of this ummah. He toiled, underwent great trouble and turmoil. He wept, he shed tears, he shed drops of blood for the sake of this ummah. He did all of this so that this ummah could be given the Qur'an and the message of Allah, so that this ummah could be forgiven and attain salvation. The Prophet ﷺ did all of this for the sake of this ummah. This bakhil wants the benefit of all the benefits that accrue from that great sacrifice of Rasulullah ﷺ. Yet the stingy, tie-fisted, miserly, lazy, indolent, insolent individual cannot be bothered to part his lips when the name of Rasulullah ﷺ is mentioned. He cannot be bothered to part his lips and at least just say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is why Rasulullah says, He is the Bakhil. That's the Bakhil. He is a stingy one. So, Bakhil الذي من ذكرت عنده فلم يصلح عليه. So, it's an obligation on us to believe in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to love him, to respect him to respect his name, to honor his memory, and to address him in the right way. And part of that respect is that we don't just say Rasulullah instead of Muhammad, Nabiullah instead of Muhammad, but we give him his due titles, and then his prefixes, and then the suffixes, we say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's remarkable. When we speak of others, we flatter each other. So when someone is introduced to an audience, there are all manner of titles before his name as prefixes and following his name suffixes. So many. And we revel in these titles. We gloat over these titles. We feel indignant and insulted if someone doesn't mention our titles. Some people insist on being called a doctor. So they may be a doctor. But if someone says, oh, Mr. Doctor, an alim, an imam, imam. If someone says, Riyadhul Haq, someone will say, Sheikh Riyadhul Haq. Others will say, Sheikh. 
I don't mind. Call me what you want. Doesn't matter. Your calling me something doesn't change any doesn't change a reality. It doesn't. Calling anyone anything does not change the reality. You can call someone Shaykh al Islam, the Grand Shaykh of the whole of Islam. That's why some ulama used to say, "Ida kana hada Shaykh al Islam, fassalamu al Islam." That if this is the Shaykh of Islam, then salam to Islam. He is a Shaykh of Islam. Salam to Islam. So giving someone titles doesn't change reality. If anyone abuses Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and remembers him with the worst of titles, it doesn't change reality. And if someone gives someone else a false title, Shaykh al-Islam, and he's Ajhalul Jahileen, the most ignorant of the ignorant, doesn't make him Shaykh al-Islam. Titles don't mean anything. So we get offended if someone doesn't call us or call those that we like and love and respect with their due titles. And yet, when it comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, out of laziness or indolence, we just say Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad. Allah has forbidden. Things have truly been reversed. I say this because some people, they insist, they insist in their writings and in their speeches on mentioning the Prophet without any of his titles. Some people, with due respect, they do say in their introduction that this book is designed to be presented in such a way that we have taken the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam without his titles for fluent reading. But others, they insist that we, need, we, we can't worship Muhammad. And part of worshipping Muhammad is to give him all these fancy titles. So we will mention him just by his name. So... Subhanallah. In the same speech, they will mention the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa repeatedly. How? Muhammad. Muhammad said this, Muhammad said that. Muhammad said this, Muhammad said that. And remarkably, subhanallah, remarkably, I've heard some of these speeches. Remarkably. In the same speech, in the same context, they will say the following. Now, for instance, Shaykhul Islam, Funa. Abu Fulan, Ibn Fulan, Shaykh al-Islam, rahimahullah, has said that Muhammad said this, Muhammad did that. So when it comes to mentioning a scholar, they'll give him all the titles with the prefixes and the suffixes. But when it comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they insist on just saying, stripping him of all his titles and saying Muhammad. And their argument is that respecting him or revering him beyond due is an innovation, it's close to worship. SubhanAllah. Allah says, do not call out to the Messenger of Allah as you call out to each other. So, part of our respect is to call the name of Rasulullah with his due titles. And part of our respect, which is an obligation on us, is to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One shouldn't be lazy about this. It's for our own good. 
Ubayy ibn Ka'b said to the Prophet وسلم, Ya Rasulullah, I make part of my dua, salat and salam upon you. So how much of, a, how much of it should I make? So the Prophet, the meaning of the hadith as you wish. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, if I make one quarter, half, two thirds, it's a progressive Prophet said, it's good for you, good for you. And then finally, Ubayy ibn Ka'b said, Ya Rasulullah, what if I make my whole dua? So when I raise my hands to supplicate to Allah and ask for myself, if instead of praying for myself, I make my whole dua, salat and salam upon you, what will it be? How will it be? The Prophet said, in that case, all your sins shall be forgiven and all your needs shall be taken care of. So, salat and salam upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is not so much for him as it is for us. Why do I say it's not so much for him? Not in a disrespectful manner. Because Allah and his malaika, Allah and his angels send their salat upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We have been commanded to do so, not because he needs our salawat, when he has a salawat of Allah and of the angels. We have been commanded to send our salawat to him, more so for ourselves. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever sends one salah upon me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will shower him with ten salawat. So that's part of our respect. We need to respect his name, his titles, his memory, Send salat and salam upon him. We need to respect his teachings, his sunnah. Respect his sunnah. Respect his likes, his dislikes. We need to be very careful and ensure that we do not say something which smacks of disrespect towards any of the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The ulama, the classical ulama of the past, they would admonish and discipline Anyone who said anything which appeared to be disrespectful towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Simple things. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa liked gourd. The gourd of Medina. Now, gourd is a family, so you get all kinds of gourds. Pumpkin is part of the gourd family. But the gourd of Medina is the, many of us, is small, long one, not the large pumpkin type. But the gourd of Medina, Prophet ﷺ liked gourd. In Urdu we call it Qaddu. So the Prophet ﷺ liked Qaddu. And he loved it. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ would chase pieces of gourd in the bowl or in the plate of stew. He would chase, the meaning of chase is that he would try to seize it, but because of the stew and the stock, he would move around. That's the meaning of chase. So the Prophet ﷺ loved gourd. The ulama, now not everybody likes gourd, but the Prophet, but the ulama, they actually went to the extent and went through the trouble of documenting in their books that no one should say anything disrespectful about the Prophet ﷺ's liking gourd. So, for instance, if someone 
if someone mentions that the Prophet sallallahu liked God, you shouldn't say immediately thereafter or in that context, but I don't like God. You shouldn't. Because that is actually disrespectful towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Ulama have actually documented that. They have documented that. That one should be very careful when it comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and not say anything which is disrespectful, disrespectful, even about the simplest of things. To like what he liked, dislike what he disliked. Ulama, subhanallah, the true, knowledgeable and pious individuals would try to follow every sunnah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So part of our respect, part of the obligation of respect, is to respect everything about the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, he has commanded the pilgrims, he commanded the sahaba radiallahu anhum, he commanded the believers, that do not disrespect those who are on their way on pilgrimage to the house of Allah. Do not disrespect even the sacrificial animals. Do not even disrespect the qala'id, the garlands, so those dry leaves on the string, or those sandals, or bark of wood bark, around the necks of these sacrificial animals which marked them for sacrifice, these garlands, whether these garlands are flowers, or dry leaves, or bark, or wood, or sandals, or slippers, or old shoes, this is what the Arabs would do. Allah says in the Qur'an, in the context of those verses, I won't go into detail because we don't have time, but Allah says in the context of these verses that do not even disrespect honor. Do not consider sacred even these sacrificial animals and their garlands. Imagine. Because of the nisbah and the connection with the house of Allah, with pilgrimage. So even garlands around the necks of these sacrificial animals are to be respected and not disrespected, are to be considered sacred. So what can one say of the likes and the preferences and the choices of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? One has to be respectful. And moving beyond respect, reverence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala admonished the sahaba radiyallahu anhum whenever anyone spoke or behaved disrespectfully in front of him. Even though he wouldn't say anything, Allah reprimanded them. Allah corrected them. Allah even reprimanded and corrected Umar ibn al-Khattab and Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiyallahu anhuma, his two fathers-in-law, his senior lieutenants, the greatest of the Muslims. Allah even reprimanded them. In fact, it's mentioned in the hadith that the respect that the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum had of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, some people have gone as far as to mention that the relationship of the Prophet ﷺ with the Sahaba عنهم, was a very relaxed, laid-back, joking, humorous, jovial, friendly one. Partially true, but not in the way it's being portrayed. Some people, in their speeches, in their writings, have tried to claim that the relationship between the Prophet ﷺ and the companions was a very easygoing, relaxed, friendly, jovial one where there was a lot of joking, friendly, idle chit-chat and 
the Sahaba عنهم, were just lounging around in the presence of the Prophet And they say this, one of the reasons for them claiming this is because they wish to refute and to criticize and attack the respect shown by juniors to their seniors, respect shown by disciples to their mentors and guides. They wish to attack and criticize and discredit the respect shown by students to their teachers and scholars. This is one of the reasons. And some of them have actually clearly mentioned that why do these students respect their teachers in this manner? Why are scholars shown this kind of respect? Why this civility? Why? The companions weren't like this, and then they go on to portray the Sahaba عنهم, as a band of merry men around Rasulullah Nothing could be further from the truth. The Sahaba عنهم, relate that when the Prophet وسلم, would come out to them, the Sahaba عنهم, would be seated. Not a single companion would raise his eyes to the Prophet وسلم, and look at him. Not a single one. In the whole congregation, only two people would raise their eyes to the Prophet ﷺ. They would look at him and he would look at them. They would smile at him and he would smile at them. Out of the whole congregation, the only two people who did this and who could do this were his two fathers-in-law, Abu Bakr and Umar. No one else. In fact... Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhumah says, he says in a hadith, that if you were to ask me to describe the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to you, I wouldn't be able to do so. Do you know why? Do you know his reason? He doesn't say because I don't remember. Or because I didn't pay any attention. No. Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhumah says, if you were to ask me to describe Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to you, I wouldn't be able to do so because I was so overawed by him that I could never fully look at him straight and square in the face. I never looked at him properly to be able to describe him to you. This is the respect that the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum showed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. True respect. Once Prophet ﷺ, there was a bowl of water, he offered it to someone. He refused. The Prophet ﷺ told Bilal ibn Rabah and Abu Musa al-Ash'ari that he has refused. You accept the glad tidings of the Messenger of Allah, the joy of the Messenger of Allah. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and Bilal ibn Rabah took the water of Rasulullah ﷺ, drank it and poured it over themselves. Umm Salama radiyallahu anha was standing behind the curtain. She's his wife. And when she heard the Messenger of Allah say this to the Prophet say this to Abu Musa al-Ash'ar she actually called out to them from behind the curtain and said, leave some water for your mother too. So that she could drink it and pour it over herself. And she was a wife of the Messenger of Allah. This was their love, their respect, their reverence. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he even corrected these two great people, Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah, the only two who would raise their eyes to him and who would smile at him and they would smile back at him. He would smile back at them. When they once spoke disrespectfully and behaved disrespectfully in front of him, inadvertently in the, in the passion of the moment, Allah corrected them. And said to them, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasoolihi wa attaqullah, inna allaha sami'un alim, ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi, wa la tajharu lahu bilqawlika jahri ba'dikum li ba'd, an tahbata a'malukum wa antum la tashurun. O believers, do not put yourselves before Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And be wary of Allah. Allah is all hearing, all knowing. O believers, do not raise your voices over the voice of the Messenger of Allah. And do not speak to him loudly as you speak loudly to each other, lest your good deeds perish without you even realizing. Allah warned Abu Bakr and Umar not to be disrespectful in the presence of Rasulullah. Speak to him softly. Abu Bakr radiallahu an after the revelation of this verse, he said, By Allah, from now on, I will only speak to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as a companion speaks in whispers secretly to his friend. And he did that. Umar radiallahu an, despite his loud booming voice, he would speak so softly that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would have to re- regularly tell him to repeat himself. Can you imagine Umar radiallahu an being told to repeat what he said? Because the listener couldn't hear him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had to tell him, what did you say? Repeat yourself. Because Umar radiallahu anhu would speak to him softly after the revelation of these verses. That was a respect. Allah warned Hafsa and Aisha radiallahu anhumah, the two daughters of these two same men. Allah warned them in Surah Al-Tahreem not to be disrespectful to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Allah told all of the wives to make a choice in Surah Al-Ahzab. Allah would always reprimand others, even though the Prophet would remain silent. Allah taught them etiquette, how to speak, how to address, how to behave, how to act, how to conduct themselves in the presence of of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Surah Al-Ahzab, uh, in Surah Al-Hujurat when some people came and they wished to speak to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam there was a large delegation uh, most of them were non-Muslim a few of them were Muslim and what did they do? the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was resting in the afternoon he was having a siesta so they called out to him and they said to him Ya Muhammad, ukhruj ilayna O Muhammad, come out to us Prophet ﷺ, even though he was resting, his akhlaq, his character was such, so humble, so soft. Prophet ﷺ woke up, readied himself and came out. Not a word of complaint, not a murmur of complaint. He never said anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke out on his behalf. And Allah said, In fact, the whole surah is named after the Hujarat in this verse. Wherefore, 
That indeed those who called out to you from behind the chambers when they said come out to us and you rose from your siesta and you went out to them. Allah, what does Allah say of them? Allah is so offended by their disrespect to the Prophet wasallam. Allah in the Quran says most of them have no sense. They're stupid. So you know when you imagine if someone sees someone disrespecting another in their passion, in their anger, they say, "What's an idiot? Stupid. Has no sense." Someone else might say, "Don't speak like that. Advise them. Explain to them. You should be a bit more respectful." True, that's how it is. But in, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adopts the former. Allah doesn't say, well, you, you shouldn't have called out to him in that manner. You should have approached him respectfully. That was not the way to do it. In future, Allah says, indeed, those who called out to you from behind the hujarat, the chambers, aktharuhum la ya'qilun, most of them have no sense. They're idiots. They are idiots. They're stupid. And had they remained patient until you came out to them, this would have been far better for them. Respect for the Messenger of Allah in every way. Respect comes before reverence. Reverence is a grade higher than respect. And when Allah says in that verse of Surah Al-Fatih, لِتُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَتُعَزِّرُوهُ وَتَوَقِّرُوهُ so that you believe in Allah and His Messenger and you support Him, and you revere Him. In these obligations, it's not just respect, it's tawqeer. And tawqeer means reverence of the Messenger of Allah. Reverence is a grade much higher than simple respect. We, it's our duty to actually revere the Prophet. Truly. And the Sahaba revered him. We cannot revere him in person now. But we can revere him by revering, revering his name, his honor, his memory, his teachings most importantly. His teachings. How did the Sahaba revere him? Subhanallah. Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi in the sixth year of Hijrah when he attended the camp of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at Hudaybiyah. He went back to the Quraysh and he related to them what he had seen. And he said to them, oh my people, I tell you, leave him be. I have been to the royal courts of Abyssinia, Rome and Persia, but I have never seen any people, any subject, revere their ruler as I, or their leader as I have seen the companions revere Muhammad. When he speaks, they fall silent to listen. When he commands, they rush to do his bidding. When he performs his ablution, they jostle with each other to catch drops from that fall from his limbs and they anoint themselves with those droplets. When he spits, they rush forth to catch his saliva and they actually anoint their faces and their bodies with his saliva. That was a testimony of Urbat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. What he saw was remarkable. And remember, this was coming from the Arabs, a proud people who never believed in servitude or civility, in bowing before anyone. They did not believe in titles. They did not believe in the protocols 
and the airs and graces of courts and courtly behavior, they believed in openness, wilderness, and the desert. So even the tribal leader, they would never call him by titles. They'd stand square in front of him and address him by his first name or by his gunya. That's how the Arabs were. Such a people who were fearsome warriors who led harsh, relentless lives. And that was reflected in their attitudes. Such warrior-like people. Suddenly they've been transformed into these people catching saliva, anointing themselves with that person's saliva. How could this be? Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi was astounded that the Arabs who were the furthest away from it they had now become more reverent of their leader than the royal courts of Abyssinia, Persia and Rome who had centuries of civility, servitude and such reverential behavior. Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi was astounded because indeed that was the effect Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had on the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. There are countless stories of his reverence. Indeed they would catch his salah. His wives would take his sweat, his perspiration, and use it as perfume for themselves. Umm Salama radiyallahu anha said from behind the curtain, leave some water for your mother too. Why? So that she could drink of the remnants of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and she could throw water on herself from the remnants water of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. Imagine. That was reverence. There are so many stories about the reverence displayed by the Sahaba anhum to Rasulullah And he wasn't just reverence by choice. Of course, it was by choice. And, but no one can say that, well, that's something they did out of their choosing. It wasn't expected of them. And Allah doesn't say that they should do it. No, indeed. It is a command of Allah that we as believers, we not only love him, we not only believe in him, we not only respect him, but we actually revere him. Now, we can't revere him in person, but we can revere his memory, his honor, his words, his teachings, his sunnah. If someone cannot act on the sunnah of Rasulullah himself or herself, that's between them and Allah. But the, at least they should not dishonor and disrespect the sunnah of Rasulullah any of his teachings. They should not. Furthermore, one final thing is that in these verses, Allah has told us iman, tawqir, reverence, and before reverence comes love, respect. And two more things are left supporting and assisting Rasulullah and ittiba, following and obeying the Messenger of Allah. That's our duty. We can't just say we love him and celebrate his love. What kind of love is it if it's without obedience? Obedience of the Messenger of Allah is an obligation upon the beliefs. And verse after verse of the Quran is replete. Sorry, the Quran is replete with verses of the Quran. With verses placing an obligation upon the believers to obey not just Allah, but to obey his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And inshallah, because of lack of time, I'll devote a topic uh, just to this, the obedience of the messenger of Allah. Of course, we believe in the obedience of Allah. What's of the obedience of the messenger of Allah? And also 
assisting and supporting the Messenger of Allah. That is also our duty and obligation. And that means, of course, we can't do it now. The Sahaba did it. We can't do it now, but we can assist his name, his memory. His, we can assist his teachings. We can assist his sunnah. And most importantly, we can, by being members of his family, we can assist his family. By being of his ummah, we can assist his ummah. That is part of the assistance of Rasulullah We can assist the deen that he brought. That is also an obligation on us. And maybe inshallah, I'll speak on these two aspects on another occasion. The obligation of obeying Rasulullah and the obligation of supporting and assisting Rasulullah I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us true and faithful followers and members of the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, I pray that Allah does not make us amongst the stingy, miserly, tight-fisted, demanding, entitled ones who do not pay the full price of being members of his Ummah, who expect everything of him but are not willing to do anything in return, who are not willing to reciprocate the sacrifice and the commitment and the love and devotion that he showed to us. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us true successful followers of his ummah who will be honored with his prayer and his intercession on the day of judgment and who will enjoy the water of his cup from his pool on the day when our no thirst shall be quenched except with the water given by Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk